So I come in, I sit at the head of the table, they start talking, and first thing I say is, I'm I'm not a snitch. I'm not a rat. Like, you guys got the wrong person. I can't work here. I know you guys. I know what you're into. I'm not ever going to work here. And they were like, you don't have to do any of that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, well, we want you to teach people how to do what you've done. Start a business, be successful, be a positive member of your community, be a good husband, be a good father, be all of these things and teach people how to assimilate because you came home after doing 15 years in prison and you found your place in this world. Today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gritability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio today is, of course, the beautiful and ever-radiant Ro Clausen. Hello, hello. You are looking radiant today. Thank you. Back at you. Thanks. So today, we have a good friend of mine, Saad Solomon, joining us. Uh coming in via Zoom from Delaware. Wish we could have you here in the studio in person. And I promise when you come out to Vegas, we will definitely have you in here. Um, Cause we got plenty Cannot to talk wait. about. Can't wait. Sooner, sooner or later, I'll be there, man. I cannot wait. This is exciting. Thank you for you and Ro having me on the show. Awesome. So usually, um, you know, we tend to, to, take a step back and kind of start with um, whomever we're interviewing. We like to, to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your background. We've had a lot of interesting people on this show, but I got to say, uh, I made a comment today when I was talking to, to Brian, uh, the founder and CEO of our org. I said, yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine, Saad, today, and I realized he might be the most interesting man alive. Like he has an amazing <laughs> personal story. Um, and honestly, you know, where you come from, and I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler alert here. I know people look at you and they go, this guy was in prison. No, yeah. he doesn't look like someone in prison. <laughs> and, and I think that's our superpower, right? Like being able to break those stereotypes, the stigmas, and you have had incredible success um, I had the good fortune of connecting with you, you know, first online via LinkedIn. And then uh, I happened to be in downtown Phoenix, kind of crazy circumstances, came in to meet with the director of the uh, state of Arizona State, director of uh, head of corrections. And you just happened to be doing a hackathon, holding this big event where the director himself was actually there at the event. So it was kind of crazy. And I said, man, I'm right here. Like I need to connect with you. And you're like, dude, I'm right here. I'm here. Like, hello. Connect in person. And ever since, man, I feel like I've known you much longer. Um, yeah. You're just, you're one of those individuals that just gives off radiates good energy. You're, you're someone that, I appreciate spending time with, whether it's in person, you know, via Zoom or on the phone, conversations are always inspiring. So I'm grateful to have you here with us today. 
and eager to dive into this and get a little bit more about your background. I mean, maybe even some things that, that I don't know yet. So yeah. I'm going to turn it over to you and basically let you run the show here for a minute. And we're just going to jump in with some questions. Super, super, super honored to be here. Uh, the amount of energy that comes radiates between us both, right? As we're uh, developing all of the ideas that we're trying to put together, um, it's amazing. And I'm honored to be here and honored to share space with you and Ro. Um, yeah, so you were at the hackathon, and the hackathon in Arizona was a partnership between the Arizona Department of Corrections. Um, Arizona State University, some lateral community organizations like uh, support services, individual and individuals coming home from incarceration uh, need to have access to a full community. They need to feel agency. They need to feel a part of. They need to have resources available to them as they're transitioning. I mean, life is hard as it is. When you're coming from below zero, it's even harder. So what we did was powered by Mission Launch. We went out there. We developed uh, essentially a community around the community, pulling people in, organizations that are doing really good work, highlighting their uh, efforts in collaborating and building an ecosystem so that the Department of Corrections can work with these community providers and push funding to them and push resources to them and make available for them pathways for individuals that are coming out of their supervision and custody, which, as you well know, is a really daunting task. It doesn't happen all the time, right? It sounds like it's really clean and and this is the way it's supposed to be, but in actual practice, you get nothing. Like you, you're often just kind of dumped outside and, and what you do get in most cases is a probation officer or a parole officer asking you what you've had access to and what you've accomplished at your first meeting and you're like, I just got home. I, I just did X amount of years. Now I, I can, I can talk about that process because as you mentioned, I did do some time in prison. I spent about 15 years in prison from the time I was 17 to the time I was 32. Now I'm a little older now. Right. And when I first went in, I had hair. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have this uh, beautiful dome that you see in front of you now. Um, but yeah, I went in, I was a kid, I was a child, and I spent 15 years of my life uh, being raised by lifers, and they didn't have any resources for me when I came home. They had wisdom for me while I was inside. They taught me how to do my time. But when I came home, I you know, I had to figure this thing out, and uh, I did. I figured it out and was able to do some things that are pretty impressive, and I look back and I'm like, I lived this life that's really amazing. But I also look back and I say, you know, I'm charged with a responsibility that if I don't put forth the energy of trying to make sure that someone else coming after me's path isn't a little easier, then it was all for naught. You know what I mean? So I came home after doing 15 years and I started getting at it. I started working at those like low hanging fruit jobs. My first job was at a pizza shop. My second job was at a payday loan company, answering phones. And my third job was at a church cleaning up. Now, you can do those jobs. And I was working two full-time, one part-time, and working about 140 hours a week and swore that I was crushing it. Like, I'm I'm killing it. Well, my taxes that year said I made $24,600, right? Two full-time jobs, one part-time job, probably about 100% under the poverty level. 
And so I realized that I couldn't sustain that. So I started my own landscaping company and that took off. <laughs> so opportunity, most people enter entrepreneurship because they have this wonderful idea they feel is going to transform humanity. And it's like, oh, I'm going to start this and I'm going to push this forward. I ended up as an entrepreneur by necessity because the world wasn't going to pay me what I was worth. I was looked at as damaged goods, as somebody that was second class, as a stigmatized, broken piece of machinery, just put in a corner somewhere and pay minimum wage. So I had to make my own stake in this world and I had to make my own path. And so I did. Wow. That's amazing. I want to step back for a second because you talked about while you were on the inside, those lifers that really poured into you. Uh, they didn't have anything on the outside, but they had plenty to offer on the inside. Yeah, man. What was it? What What would you say was most beneficial that they were able to impart on you? <clears throat> if I had to say most, most beneficial, that's such a good question. Adam, you're nailing it. Such a good question. Um, that everybody had a story, right? So from the very beginning, when I first went in, I was this 17-year-old that knew it all. I had life figured out. I had all kinds of ideas of what life was and how it was going to be. And what they taught me from the very beginning was initially, right, we talk about today uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and those trends in business and what they mean to business. Well, what they mean is that you take an initiative and an intentional effort to really get to know, to humanize the person, the subject, the, the population that you're endeavoring to work with. And what they taught me back then were those three concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because at a, at a, at a core, it's really just truly understanding that we're all human and that we all have shared experiences and that we're all more alike than different. And that if you apply the simple wisdom of getting to know someone you're more likely to be able to relate to and help that someone. And if you're going to involve that person in some aspect of what's what you're endeavoring to do for them, you're much more likely to be successful at doing that thing, right? Because if you tell someone what's good for them versus asking them, hey, is this good for you? You're much more likely to get further than you are uh, by superimposing. So that was one lesson that I was taught. Second lesson that I was taught was very, very gritty. It was like, don't ever allow someone to take advantage of you right and that you think about it it sounds really visceral it's like wow that's a deep idea but how do you do that right well there are so many ways that individuals can take advantage of other individuals and so they taught me you know not to borrow not to be in a position of vulnerability not to put myself in and be out there and put myself in positions where i'm attracting the wrong kind of attention and so that's that's the kinds of lessons that I grew into. Um, and then there were wisdom pieces like don't don't always speak, just shut up sometimes and listen. That's listen, that's a great, great advice, right? And to a 17-year-old, <laughs> you know, I I know for me early on, some of that wisdom fell on deaf ears. It took me a while to go, ah, that's that's what they were talking about. Um, I, I wasn't as quick to learn many of those lessons, Yeah, but I will say I was very fortunate. I had some, some good people who also schooled me. So what you said about, you know, not letting people take advantage of you, um, 
you know, I think there's a, a, a lesson in that. And Ro and I talk about this pretty often nowadays about how we choose to conduct ourselves and conduct our business and the similarities of those of us who come from that background, just the way when we give our word, how it means something and our commitments, our values. And for, for other people outside of this that don't have our background, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's a little shocking to, to realize the level of integrity, um, you know, the values that we have and what means something out here in the world. Like there are people who are quick, quick to go back on their word um, yeah. and who don't just don't have those same values. And that's been really disappointing. That's been a difficult lesson for me to learn on this side, because in there, in that environment, it meant so much. That was one of those uh, initial rules. Like you just don't do that. Well, it could cost you. Bro, right. It's, it's to the point. No, you're absolutely right. It's to the point where people out here where, and I always say this people out here, like you'll hear me just say like people out here and everybody understands that it's just me talking about like my, my community versus the people out here. They'll take advantage of us with that loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. And these are the people that we thought were always doing the right thing. We were on the opposite side of the tracks. We know this. Like, we got gritty. We were into it. The gritability of the life we were living was super. Like, we got it in. We banged hands. We banged ass. We did our fucking thing. We rocked. But the people out here that we give these same loyalties to can take take advantage of us without us knowing that they're taking advantage of us because we're so predictable because our integrity is so in line. They can see that we're going to take this step. Oh, Saad will always deliver. He said it. That means he's going to do it. That makes you predictable in business. And that's not always a good thing, especially when you're talking about strategic joint ventures. You're talking about business partners that could be malicious, that could be trying to benefit more so than, than what we can benefit. And look, let's be honest here. We embody and espouse greatness. We've been through the fucking jungle. We've we've pushed it, tried, tested. They've hammered our steel and it's come out pure. People want to monetize that. And so out here, it's different than it is in there. Like in there, we had a code. We honored it. We were the ones inside when everybody out here had betrayed the code. So we honored the code. We lived by it. And there were severe consequences for betraying. Well, out here, the world didn't operate under that same that same degree of integrity. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it's one thing that I've learned as a businessman operating in the space of the public sector and the private sector here is that you have to be very, very, very careful on who you trust and who you allow the benefit of those values. The benefit of that integrity, that loyalty, that that predictability, because it can be used against us. And I've had instances in which it was, you know what I mean? And so it's like, makes you think, doesn't mean that I'll ever change who I am. No, it'll just mean that I change the way I engage situations and engage opportunities. But yeah, no, it's it's a deep it's a deep concept when you really think about it. What? 
Go ahead, Ray. It really is. And like, that was just a mic drop moment. And it, I, I was blinking away tears almost at some points because we were never really able to find words or put words or reasoning to experiencing exactly what you just explained over and over and over again over the past three years since Adam has been home. And it's disheartening. And I was just saying it in the car the other day and I was half joking, but I'm like, I'm never promoting choosing violence, but I wish that people out here especially in business, had to experience repercussions for their dishonesty and their lies and living outside of that integrity because we have experienced that over and over and over again. So, and you've been very successful in business since you've been home. So how have you been able to navigate that and not compromise your own integrity, but still, like you were saying, sometimes it can be not a bad thing, absolutely not a bad thing, but used against you. How are you able to navigate that and still be successful? Oh, man. So that's a good question. Disengage when you find yourself in a fucked up situation. Mm. You just have to disengage no matter how emotionally driven you are to it, no matter how emotionally connected you are to it. One thing about us is that we end up emotionally connected. At least I know me. I feel emotionally connected to this reality that I see form in front of me because I've lived in such difficult moments where I had no opportunity. When I see an opportunity, I immediately begin to imagine what that opportunity can look like and my role in it and how I can form it so that it can benefit the people that I want to benefit, right? Those formerly incarcerated, those people struggling with substance use disorder, those people struggling with mental health, severe, persistent. That is the group that I identify the closest with because that's the group I spent the largest chunk of my time of living with. So I identify in my own mind that I create a story and then I become loyal to the story and then I'll do anything. I'll push past it because there comes the grit, right? That, that point in your life where you're thinking no matter what happens, just never quit. Well, there are some times when you recognize that there's a bad actor in your circle, you have to quit and then leave them high and dry. Because when you find yourself in a position where you're the one being taken advantage of, or you're being handled inappropriately, or you're being misused, best thing for you to do is disengage. Now, if you're smart, if you're capable, if you're lucky, you will have had some contract language ahead of time that'll give you some, some backup when the time, when the shit gets messy. If, but that doesn't happen in the beginning, right? You don't realize how severe you're going to need this paperwork until it gets to that situation where shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. And I've never been in the earliest, earliest parts of my freedom. I hadn't take advantage of the idea of having a lawyer and having that lawyer draw up a contract and that contract have parameters and all of these things. I, that, that wasn't a system that I felt benefited me. So I didn't necessarily use that system to avail myself in the first half. And so it was difficult and I just had to walk away and essentially take the L. But I continued by building, cherishing my relationships, building my network and valuing that network. So anybody that I meet that I'm involved with, they can count on the fact that Saad's going to bring Saad to the table mm -hmm. and I'm going to show up 100% every single time. That becomes a brand and that becomes a value that can generate revenue at any point, at any junction in life. Similar to Adam's story, when you 
go through the muck and mire and you're told yes. And then no gets snatched right up under you and the rug gets pulled. You come to a place where you realize that it's just about being you maintain your you-ness such that no matter where you're at, the value comes out. No matter where you are, the, the demonstrated ability is proven. No matter where you are and what you experience, no matter how you fall, you know that all you've got is you. And in your case, you guys' case, you've got Adam and Roe, like together. That unified, powerful force between you two is like, you know you'll never fail because you'll you'll never stop. And that's the key, right? You just got to keep trucking. You got to keep keep moving forward. And the moment you step out of the game is the moment you lose. Well, I, I do like what you said about knowing when to cut your losses too. Because like you, I become very emotionally involved. That story, I write the whole story. I am like the main character in it. I am all in and yeah. I'm fully committed to get it done. Whatever that is, like you can count on me. I'm going to get it done. And Straight up. I had a business partner who took advantage of that, right? And she totally took advantage of it to the point where like I was the one doing all the work. And when things went south, here's kind of twist of fate right here. When things went south and like it ended, I hadn't been on that paperwork right? I didn't pay attention because I had given my commitment. I, you know, put forth a certain level of trust. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do what's best for us. And I trust that you're going to do the same. And, and I'm yeah. stepping out here for you. And I know that in the future, or I believed in the future, she would have done the same. Come to find out in the end, when everything collapsed, those liabilities didn't fall back on me because she had done some shady stuff with the paperwork to try and position it, to put herself in a position of control of everything. So yeah. those liabilities actually came back on her, um, which, you know, honestly, it could have gone the other way, right? Like Pismet, karma, man, it's a bitch and it's a bitch you can't escape. I'm going to tell you right now, it's one of those things Righteous conduct. This is an old man. His name was Shake. And he said, Saad, righteous conduct fears no exposure. Mm. And I never really understood it until I came out here and I began grinding and I began doing the hard work and making it happen and pushing past. And when you start seeing money, there are a lot of people are going to be attracted to just that force, that energy. So it's like, Righteous conduct fears no exposure. When you know you're doing the right thing, you know you're handling yourself the right way, you're doing all, all of the real shit. You're not afraid of being exposed because at the end of the day, it's like, all right, what are you going to expose? What are you going to expose? I did everything I said I was going to do the way I said I was going to do it. But I'll tell you, Adam, it's unique because today I have relationships with lawyers that are similar to friendships. Right. So I call, I talked to my, I swear to God, and I never had this before. I mean, I swear over like the past four years, I've developed relationships with lawyers such that whenever anymore I, I get a question, I'm like, hmm, 
I'm going to call such and such. And I just jump on the phone and call him. And he's like, yes, I think that's a great idea, but here's what I would consider. And sure, a couple of weeks later, I get a fucking bill for just a phone call. That's cool. But you know what? That $200 bill for that phone call is worth it because the things that he told me to look out for are going to save me thousands later. Um, and just those kinds of consultations, having relationships with attorneys um, can help us save us a great bit of heartache more so than the money because money comes and goes. You can only spend it once anyway in life. Problem is, is that the heartache that comes with it can come with some severe consequences. And we've, we've always looked at things. I know I looked at things based on a relative scale of consequence. Like there ain't shit you can do to break me. I don't give a fuck. There's nothing you can do to break me. I've been here, I've been here, and I've been everywhere in between. So as long as I'm not in prison, I'll deal with it. But that consequential thinking, putting it all against this extreme punishment, which we experienced and endured for a decade and a half, then you're really dismissing all of these other consequences along the way to get to this severity because we we know we can handle this. Nothing can break us. But why not take into consideration all these other layers and levels that we don't need to have to deal with if we just take some precautionary steps on the front end and find ourselves in a situation where we're able to deal with that uh, legally, right? So that it saves us from the headache. And it becomes a, a matter of thinking that just you have to kind of experience in business, you have to experience in the free market to determine. There's not a lot of people are, are like that. You know what I mean? There are some people out here that are solid like us that are just good people. And we, we flock together. We attract each other. When we find each other, it's like we hold on to each other. We build relationships together. We do business together. We present networks to each other. We start to build Eventually, we find our own island because we built our own lanes around. It, you know what I mean? And then it's like no new friends. I don't want nobody in the mix. We've got our whole circle set up. We're straight. Thank you for what. Thank you what you're selling, but no thank you. Sell it later. We're not. We don't. We're not interested because we've got our own economic foundation where we can all support each other and all kind of pass balls between one another and have this foundation where we're not in need of others. It's the time when you're in need that you get taken advantage of. Mm. Mm. It's never when you're on top. Man, preach. So <laughs> listen, so you left off with, cause you've been dropping all sorts of gems here, right? And this is all based on the experience that you've had, but you left off at the landscaping company. And yeah, so there's a lot yeah. in between. Can you walk us through there? How do you get from there to where you are right now? Yeah. So landscaping, um, I, I was grinding and it was hugely successful and I was seeing some, some amazing numbers. I was seeing some amazing activities and two doors down from me, uh, was the director of operation safe streets. And this man's name was Craig. Uh, he was the director of what is the equivalent of like the Delaware probation SWAT team. 
They supervise violent offenders, which I was a violent offender. Uh, I went to prison for accidentally killing my best friend in a botched robbery back in 1995. Uh, God rest his soul. And so I came home on zero tolerance, violent offender probation, right? So they had me under safe streets. And he lived two doors down from me, and he had a microscope on me because I'm in his neighborhood, right? So he got a chance to see what I was doing, how I was living, and he saw me grinding. He saw me successful. He saw me succeeding. And sure enough, he was a good guy. Like, he truly believed in justice. And he was doing it probably a different way than most people would think is a good way to do it. But, but the way he was doing it was what worked for him. Well, he was seated on a joint task force operation between the governor's task force, state probation, state troopers, the United States Attorney's Office, the Department of Justice, and varying law enforcement agencies in Delaware. And the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time was headed by a lady named Kim under the auspices of a U.S. attorney uh, named Charlie. And she said, uh, I'd like to hire... At the time, of course, they used the language of felon, right? Ex-felon. We don't use that language anymore. We use more humanizing language, like someone who's been formerly incarcerated, because felon just says that it's he's a felon. He's a person that's a felon. He is a felony or someone that commits felonies versus someone that's been formerly incarcerated, which speaks to the life experience, the life event, and it sort of isolates the life event from the person. So it humanizes it a bit so that we can look at each other as humans rather than looking at each other as some stigmatized label. Um, so they said they wanted to hire someone that was formerly incarcerated. And he said, Craig, I know the right guy. I've been watching him. I know what he's doing, and it's great. <laughs> so um, lo and behold, uh, they called me into the United States Attorney's Office at the Department of Justice. Now, listen, I, I've i never been a federal offender. I've never been involved in any federal case. So I thought they thought I was selling crack. I'm like, <laughs> God damn, I'm making it. And they finally think I'm doing something. So I'm like, oh, man, I need all my accounts. I need all of my receivables, my contracts, my invoices. I need everything printed out so I can take this in and tell these people that I'm not selling crack. Well, I walk into the U.S. Attorney's Office, I walk into their conference room, and it's this huge, long table. I will tell you, they would donate that table to my nonprofit organization about 10 years late, seven years later. They gave me that exact table that I interviewed at when they were moving from building to building. Wow. But 40-foot-long table, on the, side of the, on the side of the walls, there was a picture of Barack Obama. He was the president at the time. Uh, Joseph Biden, who was the vice president at the time. And all the former U.S. attorneys that have ever served in Delaware, going all the way back to the wigs. Right? Remember the wigs? Like those people wow. that, <laughs> that yep. were wearing like the colonial wigs. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is a big table. And there's all these like white guys on the left side. And there's white guys on the right side of the table. And then there's this one black woman. Her name was Kim. She's my heart. So I come in. I sit at the head of the table. Where they start talking. And first thing I say is, I'm, I'm not a snitch. I'm not a rat. Like, you guys got the wrong person. I can't work here. I know you guys. I know what you're into. I'm not ever going to work here. And they were like, you don't have to do any of that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, well, we want you to teach people how to do what you've done. 
start a business, be successful, be a positive member of your community, be a good husband, be a good father, be all of these things and teach people how to assimilate because you came home after doing 15 years in prison and you found your place in this world. You made a place for yourself in this world. And I was like, what's the catch? Because it's the prosecutors, right? Like it's the federal prosecutors. Like, what's the catch? They were like, there's no catch. I was like, I'm not a rat. They were like, you don't have to be a rat. I was like, I'm not an informant. They were like, you don't have to be an informant. I was like, well, what is this? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? I don't understand. And they were like laughing at me. Saad, all you have to do is teach people what to do. And I was like, you guys offer me a job? And at the time, a guy named David um, was the first attorney. He wasn't the, the U.S. attorney. He's the U.S. attorney now. I Obviously, I might as well just say his name, David Weiss. He was appointed by Donald Trump to be the United States attorney in Delaware, and he was kept after Donald Trump lost the election to, the, to, to Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden kept him as our U.S. attorney here in Delaware. So he's still the U.S. attorney. Great friend of mine and um, great guy. And he says, we're offering you a job. And it'll be the first time in the history of this nation that anyone with your background ever worked for the United States Department of Justice. Wow. And I was like, well, shit. so like fuck landscaping i'm here so like you know what i mean (laughs) so i dove in head first and took advantage of the opportunity and it it opened up oh my god it opened up a whole new world for me i became the first formerly incarcerated leader ever hired by the united states department of justice I would stay with the Department of Justice for two years, and then I would shift over to the United States District Courts, and I was a sworn officer of the United States District Courts, District of Delaware, under Chief Judge Gregory Sleet, Um, and I was sworn into the court service, and I was the senior reentry specialist here in Delaware, working for the United States Third Circuit, the entirety of the Third Circuit, but namely here in Delaware. And I was charged with the responsibility of helping to create and anchor Delaware's first federal reentry court program, which was an awesome honor under the guidance and leadership of United States Magistrate Judge Christopher J. Burke, sat next to U.S. attorneys, sat next to state, I'm sorry, federal, federal defenders, not just federal public defenders, although they're great, fantastic people, but the federal defenders. Eleni Kasoulis, who's the federal defender for the District of Delaware, sat right next to me every week. And we would just build opportunity around people's lives as they were coming home. Mm. And what we saw was remarkable. People were coming home and staying home. They weren't going back to prison. They were getting jobs. They were getting their driver's licenses. They were assimilating back to the community. They were getting cars. They were buying houses. They were starting businesses. They were doing all of the things that we want to see people do that you and I know we're all capable of doing that Roe believed in you to do when she first loved you. 
Like we be, we believed that people were going to succeed and we created this communitarian model of supervision where we wrapped community around them, not consequences. Mm. And so that opened up a variety of opportunities for me. And listen, success has its own energy. Like when you succeed in helping people, you're putting forth banks and banks and banks of good karma out into this universe, right? And so like God, the universe just starts whiplashing and sending you all this good shit right back to yourself. And I found myself in this wave of opportunity and then it was time for me to leave the federal government, right? Because you get constrained. You can't operate within government, but for, I couldn't operate in government, but for so long because I wanted to do so many more things. I wanted to be able to create a social enterprise where a company could self-fund a company to create this good energy and do this good work, but not have to rely on grant funding and all of the restrictions that come with the pot. Because every time you get a pot of money, the funder has to tell you that what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do with the money. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I want to do things on my own. I want to create my own opportunity. There's the entrepreneur in me that's just like, let's break trail. Let's get off of this path that even though it was a new path, let's break trail and do some shit. So I jumped out, jumped out of the federal government and I started uh, I partnered with a group that had uh, a nonprofit that had just been a shell, right? It hadn't really done much. It was just kind of a, a paper designation. And I took my I took my skills to that organization, and we created an organization that partnered with a for-profit and a nonprofit. We on this one side had like the reentry programming, the mentoring, the vocational training, all of the barrier reduction stuff. On this side, we had like the clinical, uh, behavioral health, mental health, substance use disorder, and we blended it together so that we could create opportunities and pathways for people to come home. If you were struggling with addiction, we could work with you. If you were struggling with reentry, we could work with you. And it was an each one teach one model. Everyone coming home would get on their feet, turn around, pick up someone else behind them, and everyone gave to everyone so they create this model. So it sounds really utopic and wonderful. Beat the shit out of me. That whole <laughs> goddamn exercise was so exhausting. Five years into that shit, I was just like, I'm done. I'm getting back into my own mix. Stepped out of that, jumped into a healthcare startup that provides primary care and internal medicine for formerly incarcerated people. Uh, grew with them for a good couple of years then branched off. And now I'm just doing my own thing, consulting. When companies contract with me, they contract with me for two reasons. They want to grow their company or they want to permeate a market and saturate it with uh, access markets that they've not been able to touch before. I find ways, strategic ways to bring market share to companies and I expand their growth catchment. And I have a bunch of different opportunities that I do. Pretty much most of the work that I do is around formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated people. So if there's any access um, that these startups have to providing services to people that are either currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, I'll provide assistance with them. I won't hit them over the head with a huge, huge retainer or anything like that, but I'll certainly provide them with access to growth. And I've done that now with over a dozen companies. 
Wow. That's amazing. And you just took us through that whole journey. And man, there were there were parts of that that I had never heard before. So I appreciate you <laughs> sharing all of that. I can only imagine what it was like walking in that room. The oh my God. First time with all those people around that table. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was bizarre. I was, you know, you don't, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. You know, you don't have anything to hide, but yet you're still nervous. Mm, yep. That feeling where you're just like, once I step behind these fucking locked doors, what's going to happen? Right. Like I'm, I could fight. I know I could probably get overpowered with the people that are behind these locked doors and they could put me in handcuffs and they could put me downstairs. And next thing you know, I'm on my way in the back of a van somewhere to go to a prison. Like you just think about it and you're just like nervous. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have anything to worry about. I had nothing to hide. I still couldn't fight the trauma mm. of what I had experienced when I was still under the under the supervision mind you at this point i was still on fucking probation i'm on probation and parole walking into the u.s attorney's office for a fucking job it was like wow oh my god at, I, how, how so, long had, how long had you been out at this point so i came home march 23rd 2010 i started working for the united states attorney september 1st 2011 wow oh wow Oh, okay. I was on probation, <laughs> bro. I'm telling you, I would go into my probation officer and his name at the time, it was Tom Barry. Good guy. Really good guy. Um, Tom and I would talk and I'd have to report, you know, when you're on probation, you have to report police contact. Yeah. You got to report police contact. So it became annoying as shit because I'm like, all right, Tom, I got to report police contact because I talked to my boss. His name is Bob such and such. I talked to his partner, who's also a police officer, and her name is such and such. And I spoke to this police officer in the hallway. I spoke to this one at the water. I, I was just getting water because I need to drink something. He'd like, shut up, sod, 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 stop. Because <laughs> I'm like, I had it documented. All these notes and shit of like how many police I engaged with. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. None of that matters. And I'm like, but you just told me when I first came out here, I had to repeat report all police contact. He's like, yeah, that's different. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, but you kind of like work with the police now, don't you? And I'm like, I don't work with the police. Uh, so it was like mind screwed, man. And so when I come to probation and I'm like, Hey, I just bought this brand new Range Rover. Hey, I just bought this boat. Hey, I just bought this. Hey, I just bought this. He's like, what you are doing it, man. Can I come work for you? And I'm like, yeah, but that relationship only formed yeah. after I got into this opportunity. That's, that's cool that he was that supportive. Yeah because we've heard plenty of stories and, and I've had my own personal experiences, you know, back when I was on the East coast of, you know, sometimes that success is not always, um, favorable, right? Like they, you know, people try and slow you down or maybe, you know, their own insecurities come out like, man, this guy just did this much time and he's got a new Range Rover. 
I don't even have a new Range Rover, right? Like that's going to bring out some insecurities. But listen, this is how I met him. I walk into the probation office. He's assigned to me. I go to shake his hand. He sits back and looks at me and says, no, I don't shake hands with inmates. Really? I'll only shake your hand if you finish this probation. Mm. Okay. From the door, it was hostile as shit. Yeah. Like from the door, I was like, okay. Caught in my feelings like, all right, there's this yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Here we go. You know, like, let's lock ass, motherfucker, because this is what it's going to be. But I didn't take that position. You know what I mean? I kept that inside. And I was just like, I'm going to let what I'm going to let my success speak for me. I'm going to let my own ability to make it past this bullshit speak, speak for me. But by the time I was done my supervision, um, and it ended up happening really, really abruptly because my dad died all of a sudden in 2012. He was in Egypt. And so I went over to Craig's house two doors down and I was like, yo, man, I got to go to Egypt. My dad's sick. I'm not sure if he's going to be our, be around much longer. And I haven't seen him since I've been home and I've been on probation. And he was like, go, just go straight up. I've got your back. Just go. We have to reach out to the courts because the courts have, the judge is the only person that can approve you leaving the country. We can approve you going anywhere out of the, anywhere out of the States uh, but you can't leave the country without the judge's permission. So you just go, go see your dad, take care of your, take care of your business. And um, he gave me that green light. I knew I had my back covered. So that next morning I went and got my passport. And that night I flew to Egypt. Wow. My dad died that morning as I was going to get my passport, but check it out. The judge, when, when he received this request for me to get special permission to leave the country, the judge dismissed my entire probation case. Oh, wow. <laughs> like he said, he's no, he doesn't need to be on probation or supervision. You people are like asking me to, to allow this man out of the country. And I'm saying, why do we even need him on probation at all? And so the probation office came back with, yes, we agree. We would be in full support of discharging his probation. And it was Tom Barry that was that probation officer that told me from the door he wouldn't even shake my hand that called my ex-wife and told her Saad's been discharged off of probation. Tell him he never has to come back to our office again unless he wants to. And if he wants to, he's welcome. Wow. 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 Mind-blowing shit. Yeah. I had to live past the humiliation of a man not shaking my hand mm -hmm. in order for me to have him call my ex-wife, who super great friends were super tight no matter what, but he calls her and tells her that he never has to come back here unless he wants to. And if he wants to come back, he's welcome. Well, that, that really speaks to the impression that you made and that you left. And I'd be curious to know how much of that, your experience with him, ultimately changed his view on inmates or, you know, individuals that come across his caseload, whether or not he, you know, views them differently because of the experience that he had with you. I would hope so. And I would hope so. I would hope so. I think, you know, 
working in this space is difficult. It's tough. We come from this background. We've been in the mix. We've been in the trenches. And we get disappointed when we see people that we're trying to help fall off the wagon, make bad decisions, find themselves in bad situations again. It's tough, man. The shit ain't easy out here. It's there are more there are more people out here that struggle to find foothold out here because they just haven't done the internal work of letting go of some of their own fucked up demons. Mm-hmm. It's not the demons that are in prison that are that are most scary. It's the demons that we carry with us that we don't shed. Those demons are the ones that are most dangerous, right? Those are the scariest ones because they come out as soon as you start succeeding. They come out as soon as you start seeing some something good. And then some little whisper in your head comes out. It's like, man, fuck, here we go again. And you're knee deep back in the mix. Probation officers, some are assholes. Some are complete assholes. And I won't even qualify that. I'll just say straight up, there is a whole group of probation officers that are just assholes. Period. But there's also a group of them that aren't assholes. There's a group of them that don't continue to be assholes if you carry them a certain way. There's a group of them that are just super caring. It doesn't make any sense for me to ever just stigmatize an entire group of probation officers because that's what they were, that's what I'm telling them not to do to me, right? Mm-hmm. Reentry, people coming home. You're putting us all in one basket. So I don't put probation officers in one basket because each probation officer is different. Some are assholes, just like inmates. Some are assholes. There are people in jail that I would never want to have as my fucking neighbor. <laughs> Straight up. Yep. But that's not everybody. And that doesn't mean that I need to categorize everybody with the same brush uh, or paint everybody with the same brush. And same thing with probation, same thing with cops, same thing with everybody. Everybody you just take um, take with a grain of salt and give them an opportunity. And that, that's a vulnerable place to be because you might take to get to get to know everybody. You might have to put yourself in a position where you can be hurt by that somebody. Absolutely. That's vulnerable. Yep. And, and that's I think everybody can benefit from that. Right. The only way to build trust is to give trust. So, and it's, you know, how you build a relationship and, and it takes time. You've had great success in building some pretty remarkable relationships that uh, obviously are, are, you know, you carry with you to this day. It sounds like uh, you have some good memories, some long lasting relationships. Yeah. And I am very fortunate for our relationship. I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with you. I'm excited to see what comes next for us. As we said, 2024, yeah. um, Ro and I made a commitment this year, right? To only, only allow good people into our circle. As she said, you know, the last few years have been kind of challenging for us. So we're being very intentional uh, about who we connect with, who we choose to give our time to and, who we want to spend more time with in the future. And you, Saad, are clearly one of those people. So I'm excited about what's next for us. I'm grateful that you came on here and shared all of your story 
namely your success, because people need to hear it, right? Yeah. People yeah. that have come from where we come from need to see more examples of success. We don't see enough of it. So thank you again for coming on here. And can I just, can yeah. I add? And vice versa too, because you had said, something I want to respond to that you were just saying was that it's difficult to work in the space that you work in. And I just want to say to both of you, thank you, because as difficult as it is for you, and I don't think that you guys get as much credit as you deserve, to be doing the work that you're doing and working with the population that you're working with coming from where you came from. And we need more of that because somebody coming from a textbook experience without the lived experience is never going to offer what you have to offer with your lived experience. And I'm saying this as a compliment to you. When we were first talking, I had never spoken to you before. I had never met you. I only heard stories through Adam. I didn't realize that you're a formerly incarcerated person yourself. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you during the interview is like, what brought you to this work? And I thought you were going to say, and I mean this as a compliment because I do SEO. So I'm an SEO geek. I thought you were going to say something like geeky in your background because you were talking about tech <laughs> stuff. And I just, I, I love it. And I want to say thank you because I know it's not easy. Oh, thank you. You guys are the shit. Both of you are the bomb. I love you. I swear to you, I feel so connected. I feel like we've known each other for a very, very long time. I can relate entirely to uh, Adam's story, Adam's experiences, um, Adam's challenges, his hopes, his dreams. Um, I immediately felt drawn to him, and I immediately felt like we're going to do something. And so we we often said we met like September, October, November, last quarter of the year in 2023. And I said, I'm really excited to see what, what 2024 brings. We're just going to be more intentional about mixing our lives and figuring out our synergies to, to make something happen together and be intentional about it. And sure enough, we're touching base like every couple of weeks, every week or so, and we're connecting dots and we're touching, we're seeing our different touch points from all across the nation, how we touch, how we engage. Um, and working together on making things come to reality. And it's it's absolutely true. When it comes to developing a network, we have to be very, very, very selective about who we let into our circles, man, because people want some of this energy. People want some of this goodness that we've got. And they'll come in and they'll just sip, sip out of the cup and they won't refill it for us. Yeah. Um, so we have to be very, very careful who we bring in. But I, I appreciate you both. I appreciate gritability. And, and the message that gritability promotes, the positivity, the stories. People don't see this. They don't see the successes. We turn around and we walk into the sunset. We don't go back to prison. They don't hear about who we are and what we've done and what our accomplishments are. So gritability is an absolute platform that needs to be able to show these stories of success. And I appreciate you. Mm, well, we thank appreciate you. you too. And thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on today. And we will definitely be talking more soon. It's been another incredible episode of Gritability, the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. You saw it right here, Saad Solomon, living the life of his dreams. He's doing it. Everybody take note. We'll see you back here on the next episode. Man, that was, that was awesome. great. My